Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope you are well and safe. Please be very, very careful. Coming up on our program today, we continue to look at the impacts of COVID-19. We'll take a look at the trade situation. How is it impacting our exports and the trade deals that we have and are working on? Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation will be joining us. A lot of attention being paid right now, focused on the cattle market and concerns there and how it's functioning. We're going to talk with Kevin Good with Cattle Facts. And we'll also talk overall uh, commodity markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. But we're going to start things off today with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin, who joins us. Scott, thank you for being with us. Hope you are safe. Uh, let's uh, let's get the uh, your thoughts on the numbers that came out from USDA this week. We'll start with the planning intentions report. And I guess the what caught a lot of people's eye, the number for corn acres 97 million more than most people had expected what what did you think corn 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 and more corn (laughs) that's uh pretty much the message that uh we get from the report uh you know certainly was uh higher than i expected uh because you know for most of the winter the signals from the market were that the incentives to plant corn and soybeans were roughly uh, about the same. So I think it's surprising that we saw such a strong move towards corn. Uh, but of course, the world has changed dramatically since the survey, and the market clearly, I don't believe, really thinks that we're going to plant 97 million acres of corn now. Mm-hmm. Well, my thinking was if the weather was good this spring, we'd have a lot of corn acres but I'm not sure you could count on the weather being that good that would let them just go like that. Uh, so it would, uh, as you said, most people seem to think it'll be under 97. So on beans and 83.5 million, you think that number will wind up being higher? It's hard for me to see how it won't be with the swing in the incentives uh, since this survey was taken. You know, based if you just use our University of Illinois budgets. Uh, right now, uh, you're looking at someplace here in high productivity central Illinois farmland of uh, soybeans being around $70, $80 an acre better than, than corn. So uh, there's been a pretty dramatic swing in towards the profitability of soybeans compared to corn uh, since the COVID virus has hit, uh, which is not a huge surprise when we see what's happening to ethanol and corn. All right. What about the stocks number? Anything uh, jump out at you there? Well, of course, that was uh, uh, kind of was the hidden uh, silver lining here for the corn market. It showed, you know, that we'd had the hot basis all uh, really since last fall, and the stocks report confirmed that we were seeing very robust growth uh, in in corn feeding use and just use across the board. So, you know, that's kind of for ag, one of the costs of the COVID, we've obviously interrupted what was uh, a really, really robust demand situation. And so, um, you know, nobody really knows exactly where we're heading with that now. But up to the first half of the marketing year, we were looking pretty good in corn. 
Well, let's take a, a closer look at the ethanol industry, and certainly it is being very hard hit. A number of factors coming together right at the top of the list, fewer miles being driven, less uh, fuel being used. This, of course, impacts uh, the corn market, less corn being bought uh, at those ethanol plants as they idle or cut back. Is this the worst you've ever seen it for the ethanol industry, and uh, w- what do you see as the impact moving forward on this? Yes, I mean, uh, this is without a doubt the worst sudden stop that I've ever seen for uh, the U.S. ethanol and the U.S. uh, refining and crude oil industries. Uh, This is truly unprecedented. We're, you know, it's easy to get a little callous to the numbers, but, uh, you know, our projections that we came up with about a week ago were that we would lose about a third of the gasoline use in the United States for as long as these uh, uh, kind of shelter-in-place restrictions last here in the United States, and that means that we need to shutter about a third of our uh, ethanol plants in the United States. You know, that could be, I think, a little bit conservative, but I think with the data we got this week about uh, gasoline offtake in the United States last week, you know, something in that third to 40% down is, uh, appears to be about where we're going we're gonna to end up, which means if there's any good news there that, uh, you know, I right now the data don't point to some of the really even more dramatic doomsday scenarios of, say, losing 50, 60, 75 percent of our uh, gasoline market here in the short run the next couple months. So far, at least, the data don't, don't back up those really extreme doomsday scenarios. And if you idle a plant, you also then, that's that much less... Uh... Uh, DDGs, for example, being produced. So it it has an impact on the feeding side, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you see that in the uh, surge in DDG prices and also in soybean meal prices as we're thinking about substitutes. And then uh, that comes back to at least help support probably some corn feed uh, usage as well, returning from the lost DDGs. So it's it's all a very complicated uh, system as these changes kind of ripple out from the restrictions and the drop in driving. One thing we're learning through COVID-19 is how intertwined the system is, right? And how there is a ripple effect. You, you, you impact one sec, uh, sector, it, it's going to ripple through the system. Absolutely. You know, just think of, you know, we're just learning. We've kind of built, particularly in the last 20 years, uh, throughout our economies, and agriculture is no different, a, as a very efficient, just-in-time set, system of supply chains. But when you, when you have something that sophisticated, complex, and interdependent, uh, when you have a huge shock like this, it just ripples in ways that uh, you, know, you really didn't even think about before something like this happened. And as farmers head to the fields, we're about to find out uh, how the ag input supply chain to farmers is going to be, uh, how it's going to do or perform under these circumstances. It's hard to imagine a more stressed situation to try to put the crop in uh, than this. Uh, 
you know, fortunately, although we have some wetness in parts of the uh, Corn Belt, we're a little bit soggy here in the eastern Corn Belt right now, uh, but the northern, northwestern half uh, is uh, probably okay to get the crop going. So hopefully Mother Nature will help us out. We sure could use it. All right, Scott, thank you. Stay safe. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, Always a pleasure, Mike. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Up next, we'll look at trade with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, COVID-19 seems seemingly impacts every aspect of our lives. Let's take a look at the uh, trade situation. Joining us now is Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. Um, what is the overall situation as far as markets and uh, moving our commodities around the world during a global pandemic? Well, as of right now, I think we see that movement is continuing. Uh, you know, there may be over time some increasing uh, impacts on ocean shipping, some freight, but so far, egg cargoes are moving. If we look to some specific countries around the world, you know, China, which of course has gone through this uh, this uh, epidemic first, and not completely done with it yet, but we have seen their ports reopen to a great extent, uh, ships being worked. They have been in the market of, uh, you know, at least uh, placing orders for some uh, U.S. agricultural cargoes. So that uh, that is starting to move again to China. And, of course, they've also, according to the Phase 1 agreement, have been living up to the commitments they've made in there as far as changing standards uh, for beef and pork and poultry and other products. So, you know, they're living up to their uh, their side of, of that. Um course not as quickly on the purchases as we all would like but you know they've got to get past their problems uh their problems that they've had as far as their own port and transportation infrastructure so uh, you know that's that seems to be moving along yeah you know it's it's one thing we often hear this well people still have to eat and that's true but you still have to have the people in place working throughout the the supply chain system to be able to deliver that uh, food so if it there's a problem anywhere in that chain then it impacts everything yes it certainly does and that's you know an issue that uh, we've all brought up of course with uh, USDA you know the necessity as they, they well know they're on the front lines of this for inspections both for uh, outgoing cargoes and incoming cargoes so uh, they're still there and doing. Uh, they've got their plans in place. You know, everybody's worried about potential impacts on workforce, but uh, that's all still happening to make sure trade uh, keeps going. So we're all uh, watching that uh, very closely. 
Now, what's happening? We, we're hearing some senators saying we should maybe hold off on uh, on implementing the new USMCA. What's the latest there? Yeah, nothing official of any delay there. But uh, at this point, um, you know, the administration, at least unofficially, was trying to get a June 1st entry into force date for that. Um, that can only happen. You have to have a 60-day notice. Uh, of when you're going to do that, and you have to have all the certifications among three countries that they're living up to the agreement already. Remember, with USMCA, it's taking the place of an existing trade agreement, NAFTA, which is still operating, and everyone has to have on day one, when USMCA comes to place, everything is good to go. Not like, well, we'll do it later. No, everything has to be ready to be in place, and I think under the pressure of everything that's going on, uh, those notices that they were ready to go, as far as I know, weren't sent as of April 1st. So we may be looking at a little later. So now you'd expect that, uh, again, to be more perhaps July 1st. Uh, Nothing official yet on that, but uh, it may be delayed of the entry into force of the new USMCA uh, somewhat. Of course, this only happens because, you know, Canada... Uh, before their parliament recessed back in mid-March. They ratified it, so they've done everything they had to do. So um, it is ready to go from that point of view, but uh, maybe not all of the things that have to take place uh, are done yet. So we'll we'll be watching that closely. We're talking to Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Is the administration working on other trade deals still, or is everything on hold during COVID-19? Well, I think they are working away as far as formal meetings face-to-face. Of course, that's all uh, that's all on hold. You know, right when this started to happen in mid-March, there was uh, the expectation the U.S.-United Kingdom negotiations would begin. I think there was a uh, delegation from uh, Britain was ready to come over. Uh, you had Commissioner Hogan from the European Union was scheduled to be in Washington. That was, uh, was of course, canceled and delayed. So I think behind the scenes or with the uh, people at the working level, the work goes on. I'm sure they're talking over, like we all seem to be these days, over our uh, electronic media um, to get together, but no face-to-face meeting. So, in particular, the U.S.-U.K. negotiations are ready to go. Both sides uh, submitted their negotiating objectives. The uh, plan of work, I think, is set. They just haven't formally started yet. And the U.S.-European Union negotiations, uh, of course, are ongoing, but at a uh, kind of a you know a slow level. Uh, but they are ongoing, and they could have picked up. But, um, again, I think a lot of that's put on hold. Also, just uh, beginning of March there, the administration notified Congress they wanted to start the process to have trade negotiations with Kenya, which is very interesting. I think holds a lot of promise, both for that country and for the whole future of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, the U.S. doesn't have a trade agreement with any countries in that region, so there's a lot of potential there, but... As you say, as uh, we all know, things are just uh, delayed uh, from getting going right now. Uh, coming back to China, there was, you know, so much hope and optimism they would be buying a lot of, uh, of not only DDGs but ethanol. Uh, there, there was supposedly be going to be a big commitment there as far as cleaning up their air and things like that. Certainly, our ethanol industry is really hurting right now. Could use the sales. Anything happening there? Well, we've uh, I think it's been pointed out to the administration you know, that uh, you know we uh, need to get the ethanol sales going um, sooner rather than later. 
as much as possible. I know they, they know that, and I think they're working on it, not only with China, uh, with Mexico, other countries, or that would be a, uh, a help right now. And uh, I think they are aware of it. There's been discussion uh, on that, I know, between, uh, between all the parties and what more they can do with ethanol. So we're uh, certainly encouraging them uh, very strongly to do what they can to, uh, to help that segment uh, of our agricultural economy. The U.S.-Japan trade deal, which started at the beginning of the year, got off to a good start. Is it still uh, working well? Well, yes, it is. Uh, you know, Japan has reduced their tariffs uh, to at least the level that uh, the other countries with preferential trade agreements had. We all know, for example, where we were paying 38.5% import tariffs on beef into Japan uh, before the trade agreement went into effect uh, January 1st. Now our beef exporters are paying at the level of the other countries of about 26%. So that is at an impact. Uh, beef and pork uh, sales to Japan are up, and uh, so that's a good market. And the Phase 2 negotiations with Japan can begin after May 1st. You know, there are still issues on standards and some such things. Uh, and for other commodities that really weren't included in the first round, uh, some dairy products, rice is always in there that uh, we need to have more discussion with Japan on. So we definitely want that to continue. Again, of course, everything's subject to the uh, problems of the moment, but that's something that uh, is on the agenda, we know, for the administration to uh, to grapple with. And in the future, again, timing, all this is uncertain. There's more to do, obviously, with China. We uh, Even at the time, we want to see the Phase 1 agreement implemented. Uh, at some point in the future, there's a lot of other issues to talk about with China. So... Um, you know, these are uh, kind of uh, U.S.-Japan and U.S.-China are kind of in the phase of they're accomplished, but they're not fully done. Uh, so the, we still have more work there. There are still tariff issues, aren't there? Well, yes, there are. There are tariff issues. Uh, there's been some back and forth uh, on that. Is this the time and this, uh, you know, economic pressure to do something on tariffs? There's a lot of talk about that in Washington. Haven't seen anything official on that yet. Um, China, in particular, has been granting tariff waivers to their importers of, uh, for a wide variety of products, including almost all the agricultural products. So I think that is uh, that is definitely having a positive impact on their ability to import U.S. ag products at a competitive price, um, and that's uh, that's important also for trade. So, you know, we're focused on the other uh the other uh, end of this aren't we you know the world economy has to keep going u.s agriculture is going to keep producing we need to keep our markets open uh during this time of uh, real challenges but we have to focus uh on the immediate of course which everybody is we also have to keep focus on a uh, dynamic ag economy going forward so trade's a part of that uh you're right the world needs food uh, and we'll continue to make it and continue to try to export it uh, wherever there's a good market. All right, Dave, thanks a lot. Stay safe, stay well. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, a lot of questions about the cattle market. We're going to talk with Cattle Facts Analyst Kevin Good next on AOA.
heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A lot of questions and concerns about the cattle market. More than 140 members of Congress have sent a letter to the Department of Agriculture asking for swift assistance for cattle producers with some of the money in the recently passed uh, stimulus bill. In that letter, more than 40 members of the Senate and 100 members of the House acknowledge they do not currently know the full market impact for various commodities, but say there is an immediate need for assistance for our cattle producers. A lot of concern that uh, the price for beef uh, not being reflected in what the farmer is getting, the producer is getting, and what is happening in the system. So that, and that call for some assistance from the money from the stimulus package. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, there are a lot of questions about what's going on with the cattle market. Joining us now is uh, Cattle Facts analyst Kevin Good. Kevin, thanks for joining us. I'm sure you're getting plenty of questions about the cattle market these days. No doubt about it, Mike. A lot of so unknowns out there. Yeah, so when we look at when you look at the cattle market and how it is functioning right now during this pandemic, uh and producers ask you, why is it doing what it's doing? What do you say to them? Oh, there's not a good answer, Mike. I think we have to recognize that the the markets in particular right today are, are trading a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknown. And unfortunately, unknowns and uncertainty are negative. And therefore, you know, a lot of what's being baked in or cooked in, especially in the futures, is uh, the fear of, the economy going into a full-blown recession and also recently here over the last week uh, fear that there might be a challenge as far as labor to get uh, the cattle physically killed and also the product moved so uh, it's the unknowns are, are tremendous and I think we just need to recognize it's going to take time uh, there's going to have to be more water go under the bridge so to speak in here before there's more knowns and more clarity and the markets are looking for clarity, and unfortunately, that's probably a little ways down down the road. Uh, what we need is the direction or timing as far as when we can get back to a little bit more normal commerce, uh, in particular restaurant business and, and people getting back to work. Uh, unfortunately, that's a period of time down the road. It's not short-term, so we still got some pretty rough sledding, uh, to say the least, here as we think about the next month or two. So we've gone through here in the last few weeks a situation with restaurants and food service shutting down, uh, people flocking to grocery stores, to the retail sector, and kind of stocking up, including on meat. But freezers get full. You're only going to be able to eat so much. So then as we hit the saturation point and with the food sector still shut down, the uh, food service sector still shut down, do we see a big backup, a big slowdown then in beef demand? 
Well, our demand or usage, I think we have to kind of quantify what we're looking at there. There's, you know, really, if you think about the price run-up, yeah, it was a tremendous price run-up as, as it replenished coolers, but the beef has came off $20 in the last seven trading days, too. So it's it's coming back down the ladder, so to speak. And as you alluded to, once you get your freezers full at home, it's uh, uh, that next round of, of sales is pretty tough to come by. So. We're in the process, the, the beef complex is in the process of, of finding a, a spot where it'll catch, and unfortunately, that's, that's below us still. So it's, it's always tricky when you do Outlook. It's always kind of foggy in those crystal balls, but I, I would guess, especially in a time like this, pretty hard to, to forecast, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. You know, absolutely tough. You know, you can, you can talk about supply. You know, you, that's a known. But the demand side of the equation is an unknown today with the economic conditions we're going through. And, and unfortunately, some of the leverage component, as we think about uh, uh, the possibility of, of seeing some restrictions and kills, that, that's uh, another moving lever, so to speak. So it, it is very tough. Uh, I think the bottom line, though, is, is we just have to continue to slug it out in here for the next 30, 60 days at least and, and try to get this behind us. Uh, you know, for cattle producers, we're producing a product that's better than it ever has been in the past. You know, the consumers rewarded us with that. Looking in the rearview mirror, you know, demand had been very good. Uh, we've been holding very strong price premiums compared to our competition, pork and poultry, over the last few years. Uh, hopefully, as we get on the backside of this, we can enjoy that again. But uh, right now, we're going to have to slug it out. Historically, a good economy has been very good for the, the beef industry. The better the economy, more apt people are to buy some of those uh, higher quality, higher higher price uh, cuts of beef. So then conversely, if you got an economy like this, maybe one like we've not seen for most of us in our lifetime, now plunging and, and shutting down in many ways, uh, that has to be pretty bearish, it would seem, for the beef market. That it. It's definitely a challenge, and that's one thing that if you looked at the relationships going back to the, the previous recessions as, as gauges, uh, you can see that uh, beef prices took a bigger hit than the other competition, primarily as customers starts to get uh, uh, lower on his, on his spendable income. He, he has to choose and typically moves down the ladder, so to speak, from a protein price standpoint. Another thing we're already starting to see is discrepancy in different cuts and, you know, Obviously, with the bulk of the restaurant shut down, particular fine dining, uh, you know, the Pismo or the Tenderloin is one of the cuts that uh, now is trading lower at wholesale than, than ribeyes. And at the same time, you know, the Chuck and the Realm cuts, primarily for their grind value to go into hamburger, that's been the hot selling item as we think about people stocking up stores. Now, we did hear yesterday from Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, we're still, we're still moving product uh, to markets around the world. That's, you know, that is, in our opinion, going to be a bright spot as we go through the year. You know, unfortunately, here, intermediate, you know, the next few weeks, 30, 60 days, you do have some dis- transportation disruptions that probably will be a, throw a monkey wrench in that short term. But as you think about the first couple of months of the year and our forecast as we, as we go through the remainder of the year, we still think we'll export more beef than we did a year ago. And you go around globally and you can see that, like Australia, they're starting to get better moisture conditions, so they're starting to expand their herd. They've got 
lower slaughter levels, and therefore that should allow more U.S. product to go into particular into Japan and in South Korea, where we compete with Australia. And also that does mean that with higher prices in Australia, we'll import less grinding product as well. As a market analyst, do you have any concerns or red flags you see in how the market is functioning right now? Well, there's obviously you have a disconnect right now between what we would consider the supply and the usage or the demand and the commodity markets, but we have to recognize the commodity markets or the, the futures are basically in the business of pricing in the worst news plus some at the lows. They do the same on the highs. They price highs in higher than we actually typically get in the fundamentals, and that's what we're going through right now. It's unknown uh, factors, and therefore you've got some pretty steep discounts in the commodity complex futures. And that that big unknown, what happens if there is an outbreak uh, in a processing plant, right? I mean – we, we're concerned about that happening. There are concerns about it even happening at one plant right now. But if, if that happens, that really changes this dynamic in a negative way. That, that's what the futures market are in the process of building in. You know, in our opinion, it's already, brought, it's already priced in a recession uh, for the next few quarters. But I think also on top of that, it is pricing in uh, the risk factor of, of seeing a limited uh, harvest capacity. So what are you telling producers they're trying to uh, figure out their financial situation and, and look at the marketing moving forward, moving cattle? What are you telling them? Well, it's an un- unfortunate situation. There's not an easy answer for anybody out there. You know, for those folks that have cattle in the feed yard today, unfortunately, as an industry, the percentage hedged is probably only 30 or 35%. Uh, for the folks that are hedged, uh, they're, they're going to be able to get – get by rather well. Uh, the cattle that are not hedged that are going to be coming out over the next two, three months, unfortunately, will be in a lost position. Uh, the stocker operator, uh, he has a tough decision to make. Do I retain ownership or do I take a loss on the cattle that I have to sell today as yearlings and come go back and buy something lighter? Uh, ultimately, it's the cow-calf producer that pays the price. And because of that, uh, hopefully, by the time we get to the fall run, uh, we'll have a little bit of relief, a little bit better guidance as far as where we're at from an industry, and hopefully prices will come back, which we think they will. But uh, uh, until then, you know, it's 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 basically for those type of producers, it's survival mode. Seemingly more questions than answers, and some of the answers we have are not answers we like to hear right now. Exactly. All right, Kevin, thanks a lot. Uh, it's always a, a, a tough uh, business that you have uh, in trying to forecast prices anyway, but uh, I can't imagine how tough it would be in, in this environment, and uh, I know you're getting a lot of questions, and we appreciate your time and kind of helping us sort through this. Thank you very much. Stay safe. You do the same, Mike. Thank you. All right, thank you. Kevin Good, Cattle Facts Analyst, and again, uh, wow, just so many questions and uh, so much unknown as we move through Uh, this uh, pandemic. Well, we're going to talk more about markets coming up next with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Get his thoughts on the planning intentions numbers, stocks numbers, and where he sees these grain markets uh, moving as we head towards spring planting time. 
Again, we urge all of you to be careful, be safe, take all the precautions you can. Stay with us. More coming up on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, good to talk with you. Hope you and your family are well and uh, staying safe. Yeah, it's good to talk to you as well. It's been a pretty wild ride here lately, that's for sure. Yeah, it really has. Uh, Let's talk about the numbers out this week, Uh, USDA says farmers plan to plant 97 million acres of corn. You think uh, we'll get that high? You know, that's a really good question. But I think uh, at the outset, you've got to ask yourself, uh, you know, I mean, when was the survey taken? Of course, it's March 1st. Now, all winter, I think that uh, you and I could agree that most people felt corn acres would be pretty strong, given the fact that there was no clear winter whenever we looked at the ratio of beans to corn prices. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I've got to think that – uh, those numbers are probably just a little bit outdated uh, considering they were at the 1st of March. And as you know, uh, we probably saw as much change in the U.S. and world situation in the month of March as what we've seen in quite some time. Mm-hmm. 83.5 million acres expected for beans. Many are thinking that's going to go up some. Yeah, I think that, you know, I guess one thing that I feel fairly confident about is the spread between 97 and 83 and a half is going to narrow. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but yeah, I mean, fiscally, I think that it, it's a pretty tough uh, thing for the producer here in the U.S. right now to put 97 million acres of corn out, just uh, given the, coming out of five years of just really tough times and looking at these corn prices at, uh, you know, at 350 a bushel, but that's just not going to win a whole lot of battles as far as profit margins go. So I think maybe some producers looking at this as, you know, how much can, uh, you know, what can I do to not put too much money into my crop and not get scalped if this thing doesn't turn around? So, yeah, I would expect that that disparity between the two acreage figures to get a, a heck of a lot narrower, um, you know, at least by two or three million, bushel, uh, million acres. Farmers holding on to grain, got it in the bins, probably concerned about quality conditions, but yet still not a price to get them, uh, you know, thinking about moving it out so now they're kind of sitting there holding it wondering how long they're gonna have to wait right you know i mean that's a really good point as far as this corn crop it's just not a great condition type crop it went in the bin fairly wet most of it had to be dried whenever you have to dry a significant portion of your crop 
it's not going to keep very well. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, uh, you're going to have some uh, uh, issues in keeping the crop uh, in good condition. And so how long are you going to be able to hold on to it? Well, obviously holding on to it at this point hadn't been the greatest thing to do right here in my part of the world. The highest price we've had for the uh, for this calendar year so far on cash corn was January the 2nd. So, um, you know, right now this is a really tough game, especially with ethanol bids collapsing. Uh, it's really uh, filtered out to everyone else, you know, and cash corn holders have uh, been in a pretty tough situation. Yeah, well, let's talk about that ethanol situation and the impact that's going to have for some time. We don't know how long this is going to go on. People aren't driving very much. You've got the oil price war that's going on, uh, plants idling, plants shutting down uh, or cutting back. How does this play out, you think? I mean, that's the loss of a big corn market. Right. You know, I mean, whenever you're usually going through five and a half to 5.7 billion bushels, you know, of a 14, 15 billion bushel crop, um, then obviously the magnitude of losing even part of that is is rather large. Uh, And so, you know, we've been trying to calculate, given the plants that we've seen shut down already, the ones that we expect to shut down, you know, how much demand are we going to lose? And right now we're, we're targeting anywhere from 500 to 700 million bushels of corn just from ethanol. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, what's going to replace, for instance, DDGs and these rations? And there's no doubt that corn is the cheapest feed grain that you can feed at this point. So likely to see a lot of corn enter rations, but it's not going to offset, you know, all of this demand loss by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, what's the total demand loss at this point? You know, I'm going to say that, uh, uh, I would safely assume uh, four to five hundred million bushels, but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we found out the stocks were quite a bit lower than what they, we thought they were going to be, and six hundred and sixty million bushels lower than one year ago. So um, there's a lot going on here. Uh, but from an old crop perspective, uh, you know, it's not entirely bad news. Yeah, that stocks number kind of raised some eyebrows. Um, so we keep saying we're in uncharted territory, unprecedented times. So I guess we're going to find this out, but how do you market during a global pandemic? It's really hard, Mike. I mean, I don't know that there's a blueprint to do something, uh, you know, in here. You know, what's the best way to manage your risk and whatnot? And I think right now I'm concerned about cash corn prices, um, you know, out through, uh, for instance, uh, the May report. Uh, April report, I would assume that you're going to see some demand adjustments, which shouldn't be bullish in any way. Uh, and then the May report, you're going to get basically your 97 million acres times trend line yield, most likely. And that's um, not going to look pleasant. Um, and so, you know, I think that the next couple of reports, you're still susceptible to some downward movement. You know, we see a little bit of life coming into the market in the last 20 minutes, basically, because uh, President Trump tweeted that uh, he, he uh, had talked to Saudi Arabia and that there was going to potentially be a large cut in, uh, you know, production as far as oil is concerned, uh, supposedly a, a conversation between Russia and Saudi Arabia. We really have to hope something like that happens, Mike, because in the absence of that, seeing ethanol margins where they're at, we're, we're, we're in a tough spot is trying to figure out how we're going to market the rest of this old crop corn. Real quick, Matt, as farmers get ready to go to the fields, are you hearing any problems uh, in them getting what they need? Uh, you know, diesel prices are down, but uh, are they going to be able to get the diesel they need and other inputs? Are you hearing any problems? I have not heard any problems yet, but there's no doubt that we're susceptible. I mean, to keep it quick, I mean, you know as well as I do, if one person at the co-op gets sick, 
it's going to throw a monkey wrench in the whole situation. So we've got to hope everyone stays healthier this spring for several different reasons. All right, Matt, thank you very much, and uh, stay safe, stay well, you and your family. We'll talk again uh, soon and as uh, we get into the planning season here before long. Thanks a lot for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. He's based in East Central Illinois. Well, coming up tomorrow, we'll continue to look at the impacts of COVID-19 and a situation, very troubling situation in Wisconsin where they're having to dump milk. We'll get an update on that story coming up tomorrow as well. Be safe, everyone. Be careful. Thanks for joining us here on AOA.